this is a Big Timing Comedy production. Welcome backstage. Uh, I'm here to interview Black Sabbath. I'm a journalist. VIP only. Groupies sleep with rock stars because they want to be near someone famous. We're here because of the music. We are bandits. Are you jumping or am I undermedicated? You're listening to Backstage Pass with Meredith Marks. I'm with the band, okay? Here we are at episode 21, and it's official. We can start drinking now. Yay! Celebrate 21. Oh, this is an exciting episode. I'm really excited to have our guest on tonight. I have a connection to him that stretches back a really long time. My dad's sound company started uh, doing sound for Hall & Oates. was one of his first clients, in fact, and uh, he's had a relationship with them ever since. My brother had a time where he was their tour manager and it was through John Oates that I met the father of my children. I was able to go on tour with them for a couple of weeks in Florida in 2002. I got to know his family, his wife, Amy, who's lovely and his son, Tanner, who uh, now lives in our neck of the woods in the DC area, doing some cool work there. And uh, the whole band was just so gracious and kind to me when I was on tour with them. And it was a really a, a great time and a lot of fun. Let me tell you a little bit about John Oates. Mr. John Oates, what an impressive resume he has. I mean, besides being part of one of the most pronounced duos of our time and successful beyond belief, he co-wrote many of their songs. He met Daryl at Temple University and they formed Hall & Oates. And by 1972, they were signed. They were a part of Live Aid. We talked about Live Aid with Thomas Dolby. They were a part of We Are the World. I should have asked him about that. I'm kicking myself now. They recorded over 21 albums, but he didn't do a solo album until 2002, Feng Shui. And then in 2008, 1,000 Miles of Life. His memoir, Change of Seasons, was released in March 2017. And tonight we are talking about his most recent album, Arkansas, released February 2018. It is easy to see why he did this album. Let me tell you why. He has a connection to Arkansas. You would think, oh, this Philadelphia-raised singer, how is he connected to Arkansas? He did an interview with Billboard magazine, and let me tell you what John Oates said. He said, my uncle Tony, after World War II, moved to Fayetteville, Arkansas, lived there for the rest of his life. I went there to visit him, and then on a recent trip back to the area, inspiration struck. I stood at night out in the middle of the cotton fields all along the banks of the Mississippi River, and it was one of the most beautiful moments that he's ever experienced with the moonlight shining on the white cotton. And he thought, man, this is so American in a way. And then he decided to put pen to paper, went back to Nashville, and the next day he wrote the song and it just came out of him. That was from Billboard magazine interviewing John Oates. I want to give you a little snippet of what we're talking about here. Let's listen to the title track. I love it. Here's Arkansas.
Looking over miles and miles and miles. Walk along the left and silhouetted by a crescent moon. When the sun starts rising in 94, the clock strikes noon. Don't you know the days and nights?
What a great song. That was Arkansas, titled track off of the album from John Oates, just released February 2018. He does that with the Good Road Band. They're traveling around the U.S. before they hit the road, before he hits the road with Hall and Oates and Train for their summer tour. Great group that he's got with the Good Road Band. They really jive well together. It's a great thing to watch on stage. I wasn't able to stay for the show, but I watched their sound check and, uh, They're very relatable to each other on that stage. And I love this whole album. It's got so many different types of uh, songs and he's got an incredible grit to his voice. It just sounds so good. It's a feel good album. Again, you want to stick it in your car and go driving and listen to it. It's fun. So here is me talking to John Oates. He came to Annapolis, Maryland to Ram's Head on stage. My daughters and I, of course, my kids wanted to meet him. I mean, they love Holland Oates, so they wanted to meet John Oates. So I took my kids. We went backstage, sat in the dressing room back at a Ram's Head on stage. And here we are chatting with Mr. John Oates. All right. Backstage pass with Mr. John Oates. We're backstage at the Ram's Head on stage venue here in Annapolis, Maryland. And uh, what an honor to have you, first of all, come here to this venue, do an intimate performance for people to come on my show so thank you thank you for both things i'm looking forward to i played here a number of times and uh i I like this place i like the fact that everybody's up close and the music i'm making with my solo tour and the band i'm playing is perfect for this room and um yeah it's great it's great balance to have and then go out with daryl in about a month or so and play these giant arenas which is a whole other world but yeah it's neat tell me a little bit about the good road band in arkansas well, the Good Road Band is a group of uh, my friends from Nashville who I have played with and recorded with in a lot of different configurations. On the on the album Arkansas, there's a seven-piece band. Tonight, there's a four-piece band. Uh, so it depends on where I'm playing and who's available. So it's kind of a rotating group family of musicians. Uh, and they're just amazing players. We, we're very good friends. We get along great. And the, the album Arkansas is really a... Um, it's kind of a snapshot into the earliest days of American popular music back in the 1920s and 1930s when radio was just being invented and the phonograph machine was just being invented. Uh, And um, it was kind of, when you think back, you know, before rock and roll and before big band, this was the earliest recordings that became America's popular music. So I'm doing that and there's a couple of originals thrown into it. I noticed that. I got a little mix of, of country, rock, grit, soul, blues, and a hell of a lot of Southern charm. And swing. And in swing. <laughs> yes, yeah, swing. I miss Red that. Time. You touch on some old-fashioned style yep. songs, yep. such as My Creole Bell. You cover Stack Lee, which is usually known as Stagger Lee. That's right. Um, I love Lloyd Price's version. You yep. switched it up a little bit, and it's based off of Stack Lee Shelton. But what made you sing it Stack Lee instead of Stagger Lee? Because Mississippi John Hurt did it that way. And he was one of my childhood heroes. And also the album, the reason this album got made was because I was originally going to do a tribute album to Mississippi John Hurt. Because I know all his songs and his version of Stack Lee is the one I reference. So we used that as a jumping off point. And then, of course, we kind of rocked it up and turned it into a bit like almost like an early rock and roll rockabilly record. Yeah, I loved that version thanks, that you thanks, did. Yeah. It was really neat, Stack cool. Lee. I loved it. So it seems side projects are of huge importance to artists these days, mm-hmm. especially well-known, established artists such as yourself. Is this an outlet to explore other musical expression in your life? Because you're, no, you're known for hollow notes. 
Is this kind of a way to step aside from that and do your own thing? Yeah, I mean, no one wants to be, you know, every every artist, every musician for that matter, wants to be known as an individual. So if you're part of a band, you know, it's very common for bands to split off and do their own individual projects. For Daryl and I, you know, we have always looked at ourselves like two individuals who work together. We never really wanted to be thought of as a duo even though the world thinks of us that way. Um, but, you know, over the years, you know, he's done his TV show and he's done numerous solo albums himself. I've, I'm, this is my sixth solo album, plus a live album, so it's seven, really. Yeah. And so I've been doing it for quite a while, too. And uh, I finally, I think I found my voice. I think this is what I, what I do best. And on this album, I think I, 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 I found a sweet spot for that. I think this album suits you perfectly. Your thank voice you. with that grit. Yeah. I mean, not a lot of people can pull that off. Well, the so, older I get, the grittier it gets. So I like good. it. You like but it. that's good. I like the grit. You Bring like the, more grit. Do the girls like the grit? That's you like some grit? Like. The girls like they the grit. They heard the song, okay. too. They okay. heard a few of the songs. Right, cool. We were listening together. Um, your memoir, Change of Seasons, came out in 2017. I know you used journals as a guide to write the book. Mm -hmm. If you didn't have the journals, would this even be possible? Because how good is that Oats memory? It's not bad, but but the memory's not bad. But I'll tell you what, the journals really were the whole whole thing. Um, I was doing a series of interviews every time I released an, an album. Uh, this guy named Chris Epting would interview me from California, and every interview we did got better and better. He always seemed to know. He just, it was almost like he knew me better. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The questions he asked, the the way he the interviews went, and I began to open up to him. And then during the course of one interview, I just said. I said to him, you know, I've kept journals. And he went, what? And I said, yeah, from 1970 to 1980. He goes, oh, man. He goes, Could I, is there any way I could, what is it? What is it like? I'd love to, I'm interested. And so I made copies of some of the, the journals, and I sent him some copies. And he freaked out. And he said, you, you don't understand. He said, this is a book. You just don't know it yet. You, you, he says, I would love to collaborate with you and help you put this together. And Chris writes history books. So I thought, well, this is a history book, really. It's a it musical is. history book. And uh, that's how it started. So if without the journals, um, and Chris, then of course, I gave Chris copies of the entire t uh, 14 volumes. And so he laid them all out. He created a timeline. And then he began to ask questions and the memories started coming back. And, and the more he asked, the more memories. And it was a process, really. And, you know, and I asked other people, too, people who were involved. I asked Daryl. I let Daryl read the book all the way along the way. And he had some comments and he had things that he, you know, thought but but I didn't want to make it the Hall and Oates story without him I wanted to make it my own personal version of the Hall and Oates story yeah with just probably a little feedback from him because yeah, he might well, have a uh, you know a couple of memories he that did no he has he has remember. a he has a really good memory um I wanted to make sure more what was more important to me was I didn't want to write this whole book then ha then hand it to him have him go oh man I wish you wouldn't have said that or don't do this so what I did was I he read it incrementally as I was writing it all like we'd be on a plane together and I just hand him, I'd say, look, here, check, here's a chapter. And he'd read it, and he was, um, mm. somebody's calling you, I think. No, it's okay. okay. We're good. Okay. Right. And so anyway, that's how it went. So it was really good. So by the time the book was over, he had already basically signed off on it from his point of view, So which was great. Awesome. Yeah. How did you find out about being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Well, you know, we were eligible for about 15 years before we got um nominated so uh, it was every year you know someone would say oh you guys are going to get in and we're like yeah all right already we you know we didn't really care um and it was great that we got in and uh you know i'm glad we did it means a lot to a lot of people and it's more like a lifetime achievement award 
and we got in, and there you go. But how did you get? Did you get a phone call? Did you get a gift basket oh, to your ma- door? I mean, <laughs> no. well, how does that work? Our, our manager, our manager was monitoring it the whole way, you know, because he was really into it. Um, he wanted to make sure it happened, and he kept saying, "Yeah, this is the year they're going to do it." Um, and he kept canvassing people and talking to people on the inside, because you know it was a small committee who votes for it. Oh, I know. So he kind of knew that it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he let you know. Yes. Were you guys even, a, I mean, were you a little excited? I was I was really happy. I think my wife was more excited than me, but it was good. It's a huge acom- accomplishment. Yeah, yeah. And then you got into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Well, that was actually before, way before. That way was before, like 2005. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you have some great accomplishments. Yeah, we've uh, we've been around a long time, and, um, you know, it's good to be acknowledged for hard work and yeah. what you've done. You've toured with great artists such as Kenny Loggins, Michael McDonald, Last year, Tears for Fears. Mm-hmm. This summer, you're hitting the road and you're bringing Train along with you. Yeah. That is an interesting pairing. Can you just tell me how that even we, happened? We have a relationship with Pat Monahan from, from the group. Um, Pat was on Daryl's TV show. Pat invited me to, to go on the train uh, cruise, you know, through the Caribbean on the boat. Oh, okay. They do a cruise every year. And I was on the, the boat for a week with them, playing with them, playing with other uh, bands. on. The, in fact, another artist who was on that... Uh, Cruise was a guy named Brett Denon, and he's actually going to be opening for the tour as well. So um, it's really a bunch of uh, players and, and people who have known each other for a while. When you pick an opening act or a co-headliner, mm-hmm. how do you do that? Do you really focus more on chemistry on stage or audience well, acceptance? You know, sure, you want it to be commercially viable. You want the audience, you want to feel like, but we feel like if we like them, and we feel we can we can work with them, and it makes a good pairing. Then we feel the audience is going to like them, um, because I think the audience comes. You know, they, think about the Hall Notes audience. You know, what do they like? They like good songs, they like singing, and good playing. Well, we do that, and so does Train. They have good songs, they have great singing, great playing. There you go. Awesome. All right, when you so so many decades of songs that you have have become staples in people's lives and relationships. Special moments. Mm -hmm. For instance, we talked about this. I met my ex-husband, Dave, on your 2002 tour. (laughs) From that, I have two beautiful babies. Glad to be of help, Yeah, thanks. Thanks, John. I appreciate that. (laughs) So without me, you girls wouldn't be here. Exactly. Twins because of John Oates. That's all right. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, We chose for sentimental reasons (laughs) and because we loved the song, and it was very fitting for that time, Mm -hmm. we chose Do It For Love as part of our wedding ceremony. Excellent. As a songwriter, how do you hook the people? How do you get that song to be so incredibly useful in people's relationships? Is there a secret when you're writing? Because, you know, you start off, um, I would write your name across the sky so the world could see what you mean to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's Those are special lyrics. That's why we chose. I mean, it's, yeah. it's very special. Well, you know, the thing, I think the art and craft of songwriting has a lot to do with um, making emotions and feelings and tapping into things that people relate to, relate to their own lives in a way that perhaps they couldn't say themselves. And that's part of being a songwriter. You, you, uh, you, you're very sensitive to things that people kind of, they, they inherently feel it and they, they have the emotions for it, but maybe they just couldn't articulate. They couldn't like put it out there. So when you do this, when you when you're successful with a song and you do tap into this thing that has a universal appeal, it's like you 
you might consider that those lyrics and that particular song very important to you for a number of reasons that are very personal to you. But another person might also feel strongly toward that song, but maybe they have a completely different point of view. So if you can make it universal, when you make the personal universal, that's when you can reach lots of people. And it's a thing. I mean, That becomes it's, magic. It's hard to do. Um, not everyone can do it. And that's why I, I love songwriters so much because they just seem to have a talent for doing it. I love like songwriters that. too. Yeah. I mean, lyrics are so important. Yeah, everything. Right? They touch. Yeah. That's what touches the soul, mm, that's man. Right, that's right. I mean, the, obviously the instruments too, but, mm. but the, you know, lyrics really get and you. When you, and, when you marry, and when you marry the lyric to, to music that, that supports the lyric, mm-hmm. that suits the lyric, and they marry together, that's when you really have, that's when it really happens. What is the shortest amount of time it's taken you to write a song that has become a hit? Wow. Um, gee, I, I don't know. I Well, Daryl and I wrote She's Gone. I, I think it only took us about an hour and a half to write that song. Wow. It or not. Really? We almost wrote it as we did it. I mean, we, you know, I had a chorus. He came up with a verse, started playing the verse, started singing a melody. And as we were singing the melody, we were starting to write lyrics. And by really, it would almost took, it was like, from point A to point Z, and it was written. I've asked this question several times with other artists. You're um, the triple threat, songwriter, singer, guitarist. Mm-hmm. Probably so much more. I'm a producer. <laughs> producer, okay. quadruple threat, plus so much more. <laughs> what do you feel the closest to, and what do you get the most joy out of doing? Uh, songwriting. Because it's where it all starts. If, if you don't have the song, then you can't make the record, you can't sing it, you can't play it. So everything starts with the song. So that's where, uh, that's where I always put the most emphasis. Once you have the song, then you can surround yourself with great players. You can hire a great engineer in a great studio mm-hmm. um, and you can make a great record. But you, you've got to have the song first. You're the only person that I've ever asked that to that has answered so quickly and so definitively. Oh, there's no doubt in my mind. <laughs> Which is great okay. to hear. Give me your goosey moment. When you look down and you have goosebumps up and down your arms and you look over and you go, I can't believe I'm on stage with this person. Or I can't believe I'm at this venue and mm. this is happening to me. It's amazing. There's been What's a number goosey? of them. There's been a number I'm sure. Of them. One of the ones, I go back to the 80, mid-80s when Daryl and I did the Apollo, Live at the Apollo with Eddie Kendrick and David Ruffin from The Temptations. I mean, they were kind of our childhood heroes. And um, they, were, they were one of the reasons Daryl and I got together because we both had a mutual love of The Temptations music. So when we were on stage with them at the Apollo Theater, that was incredible. Um, and I have to say, just recently, in the past two years, I've got to perform on, on the stage at the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville, which is the mother church of country music. And to be invited to play and stand in that spot in the center of the stage where, you know, Johnny Cash and, you know, all the greats, you know, Elvis and, you know, you name it, uh, the greats have, have performed is, is Bob Dylan, whoever. It's just a you know amazing experience to be on that in that spot. So that that happened to me recently, but you know I get goosebumps when I write a song, uh, especially if I'm like collaborating with someone, and all of a sudden something starts happening, and I know that it's the song's happening. I get this weird thing where I get goosebumps on my arm, yeah. and that's like the, then I know, I said I know this that's is happening. It. Yeah, that's the, that's so the golden happen, ticket right there. It could happen, you know, every, you know any day. Awesome, awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for oh, coming nice. on my yeah. show. Good. You can check out John Oates and the Good Road Band's album, Arkansas, and his memoir, Change of Seasons. I ordered mine on Amazon. Yeah. Tickets available to see Holland Oates and Train this summer are available. Go get them.
John Oates. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Yeah. Mission accomplished. <laughs> That's right. Officer, now how can that be? You can't arrest everybody, but you're afraid of Staggerly. He's a bad man, cruel old Staggerly. Billy DeLine told Staggerly, now please don't take my life. I got three children and a darling, lovely wife. You're a bad man, cruel old Staggerly. I don't care about your children, I don't care about your wife, no. But you done stole my steps and hat now, I'm gonna take your life. I'm a bad man. Great version of Stack Oli. I love his little story of how he uh, decided to do that version instead of Staggerly. And it worked so well. Love it so much. Thank you to Mr. John Oates for being on our show tonight. You can check out his memoir, Change of Seasons, available on Amazon and in bookstores near you. And definitely check out his tour with Hall & Oates and Train this summer coming to a city near you. It's summer of 2018. They're going to be rocking it all around the U.S. I know I'm going to be checking them out in D.C. and I can't wait to see them there. And uh, God, what a great guest to have on our show, right? Oh, I love it. Good job. <laughs> Love John Oates. All right, coming up for episode 22, we've got a chick that I think is a total rock star. She was one of the original members of Information Society. She currently tours with the Psychedelic Furs and the Thompson Twins, and she did that cool piano solo for 10,000 Maniacs for their live album. It is Miss Amanda Kramer, so come on back. You've been hanging backstage with Backstage Pass and Meredith Marks. Now get your ass off the tour bus. 
This is a big timing comedy production. Thank you. 